your body at that point, it doesn't trust you. You need to then develop this new trust with it. It's possible, you know, to lose weight as a secondary outcome, but my primary focus is developing that relationship with food that's a positive one and developing that positive relationship with your body. Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. The Jewish weekly day of rest, Shabbos, is so precious and sacred. However, many women find it challenging to refrain from applying makeup on this festive day, and some are even hesitant to leave the house. Enter Seventh Day Shine, a revolutionary skincare and makeup line that can be applied on Shabbos while keeping halacha. Their foundation, blush, bronzer, eyeshadow, and eyeliner and lip powders come in a huge array of colors, and their application brushes are so luxurious. My favorite product is Luminosity, an intensely hydrating and refreshingly scented serum that's especially formulated for permissible application on Chavis. Check out their full line on SeventhDayShine.com. That's the number 7, T-H-D. D-A-Y-S-H-I-N-E dot com and enter birthway 10 for 10% off your purchase. Find the link in the episode show notes. It takes time and practice to master the skill of the newborn swaddle. So here's my hack. Go to elliesandco.com. Among their full line of gorgeous, high quality baby bedding and lay assets, you will find adjustable swaddle blankets that take at all the guesswork. With a pocket for baby's legs and adjustable wings with secure closures, your baby swaddle will be perfect every time. Go to elliesandco.com. That's E-L-Y-S-A-N-D-C-O.com and enter BW10 for 10% off your purchase. Link in the episode show notes. Welcome to another episode of the Happy Birthway Podcast. Today, I'd like to introduce Yael Jocelyn, registered dietitian who focuses on women's nutrition throughout the lifespan. She has a private practice in Edison, New Jersey. You can find her on Instagram at Mama Mind Nutrition and look out for our website that she's launching shortly. Welcome, Yael. So good to have you on the show. It's so good to meet you. Can you tell us a little bit of what you do? Of what your philosophy is around nutrition? Sure. Um, So basically, my mission is to empower women with learning how to have more of a mindful approach to eating and lifestyle in general. You know, that's learning how to listen to your body, learning how to trust it along the way. I find that that's a big missing piece of the puzzle for many women when they come and they ask like, oh, the first thing is, oh, I want to lose weight. But then it's like, what's behind that? You know, we need to get to like the deep reason behind it. And then it usually ends up not becoming the main focus. We end up talking about other things related to their, you know, relationship with food and, you know, learning how to trust their own body to listen to themselves and therefore then getting better at their own self-care. 
in that way. You're saying you don't focus on like counting calories or restricting carbs or counting macros. You know, I'm a huge supporter of the health at every size movement and intuitive eating. And like you said, mindful eating. It sounds like your clients are women who are just wanting to return to that awareness of their own body and listening to their body and feeling good. Yeah, I find that many times women, especially even um, like, let's say, postpartum after they had a baby, you know, they're saying, oh, I need to get back to, you know, how I was before. But then it's like thinking we have to train the mindset to think I'm not my body's not going to be the same as I was, you know, when I was 15. My body just you know, gave birth to a baby. So totally different, you know, situation now. Yeah. And I think that in our culture today, we have this snapback mentality that I want to get to my pre-baby body 30 minutes after I gave birth, right? And all the compliments come to mothers who have quote unquote snap back and oh my gosh, you're wearing your pre-pregnancy clothing already. And I think that that creates this like idealization of getting back to your pre-baby body. And like you said, the rest of our lives change so much, right? When we're 15 years old, our life is very different than when we become a mother. So why would we expect that our bodies would be the same? Right, exactly. Do you find that mothers who are coming to you, that they're coming more from a place of, wanting to be healthy and thinking that if they lost the weight, that is a signal of health? It's part of it, but usually they just don't like how they look with the extra weight. And they don't, therefore they say, I don't like how I feel because of the extra weight. I don't think that it's necessarily that they really understand what the term health means. Like, I don't, you know, if if it was so, then they would just be looking at their lab results and how they feel like energy wise, you know, as opposed to how they look in the mirror. So it's a lot of navigating the body image challenge. Yes. I think that so many of us struggle with that. And because of that snapback culture that I mentioned before, we equate, you know, looking like we did before pregnancy to the ideal. And we aren't forgiving enough and we don't talk enough about the fact that even even if you get back to your pre-pregnancy weight, your body's still not going to be the same. Your bone structure changes, your body shape changes. Even the amount of muscle that you have, like you're just your whole body, everything changes. So your body will not look the same. Right, your posture, everything. And I think that if we acknowledge the fact that your body's not going to be the same, we would just have different expectations about how a mother should look, especially, you know, younger girls, teenage girls who absorb this message and who see people being complimented. Oh my gosh, you just, you know, you look like you weren't pregnant. And even in the hospital, I I cringe when there are women who give birth and then their stomach is so flat and the whole medical team is exclaiming in like major praise. Oh my gosh, it looks like you were never even pregnant. Where that's our ideal. We just want to look like we were never even pregnant. And I understand the reason why someone would want to lose weight. 
I'm just someone who hates stepping on the scale. Then it just makes me obsessed with food and how much I'm eating and how much I'm not eating. And I equate my self-worth as a human being with being fat or thin. And just after years of dieting, I did all the diets. I came to this realization that diets don't work, that mindful eating and figuring out what what works for you and makes you feel good is really the focus and working on body image and accepting your body. Even if you don't like it, it's okay to not like parts of your body, but just accepting your body as an amazing vessel for all the things that it does, especially after birth. It's incredible what a woman's body does. Yeah, um, I have a similar story actually. You know, I like most women, I gained weight after my first pregnancy, I didn't lose all the weight. Then my second pregnancy, I went back to pretty close to the weight that I was after I gave birth to my first, but it still wasn't near the weight that I was, you know, let's say before I got married. I got married at 19, I had my first at 20. So, you know, now I'm in my 30s, and, you know, you can imagine it's going from like, teenager to adult, my body changed. The number on the scale doesn't reflect muscle, fat, and all of that, or whatever's going on hormonally at different stages in your life. It's just like a superficial thing. Is that why you became a nutritionist? Yeah, so after that, that was when I dived deep into the whole mindful, intuitive eating realm. You know, because I also, I tried dieting, trying to lose the weight. I've gained weight again over the years, let's say during my schooling. It just, it really messes, it just messes things up even more. It makes it harder to lose weight um, when you start with the whole weight cycling. It even has shown to not be good for blood sugar. Yeah, it slows your metabolism. Right. And the research on five years after someone's lost weight is very discouraging because I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe about 95% of people who have lost weight um, five years down the line, they're either at the same weight that they started with or have gained even more weight because their metabolism isn't working as effectively. Exactly. And what I like to tell my clients is that your body at that point, it doesn't trust you. It, you need to then develop this new trust with it. Isn't that crazy what diet culture has done where it's basically told us that we're inferior if we are not at a certain weight and then it women then take that and make their bodies not trust them anymore and just mess up mess up their whole entire body. So now our body's holding on to that fat because it's so scared that we're not going to give it the nutrition we need. Yael, can you tell me, I think you had told me that you refer a patient, do you call them patients or clients? It depends what setting I'm in. You know, if I'm in a doctor's office, I'll call them patients. That's just the formal way, you know, we do things. But private practice, I tend to call them clients. People don't necessarily want to be seen as a patient 
you know, when they're uh, one-on-one, I found. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So what labs do you typically refer patients out to ask their doctor for, right? Because as a registered dietitian, it's not within your scope of practice to order labs, but you can recommend that they um, ask their doctor or nurse practitioner or midwife to order labs. I like for my patients to have a basic metabolic panel um, so I could see everything. And then I just take it from there and see if there's any um, deficiencies in vitamin D, iron. I look at their hydration status, you know, bun creatinine ratio, just things like that. You know, I like to see blood sugar, HbA1c. Those are pretty important. And, you know, I do look at thyroid. And again, I think it's more important to look at it and to refer to an endocrinologist if there is some um, abnormal uh, lab and then collaborate with that practitioner to provide the best care possible. I think in general, registered dietitians work with a variety of healthcare providers in conjunction with them because nutrition can be so therapeutic for many different conditions and ailments. And a lot of people wouldn't even know that they had a thyroid problem. And by you telling them that they should check out those labs and them discovering that they potentially have an abnormal result would maybe be the first time that they would know to see an endocrinologist. Right, and um, I just had a patient uh, recently that just got her period like after four months and um, her doctor never told her to see an endocrinologist. So I said to her, you know, I really think, you know, you should go see one. They're really the, the experts in their field. And, um, you know, they would really know how to best handle it. And, you know, for you to possibly become, you know, have a, a period regularly. Um, and then she ended up switching internists. And when she went to the internist, the doctor right away said, you need to see an endocrinologist. And she was like, oh my gosh, my dietitian told me to do that too. So you could see that, you know, sometimes we do catch things that, you know, other um, doctors don't. And in the end, you know, it's good for, you know, the doctor to see that, you know, I'm trying to form a relationship with them as well. A lot of them don't even realize Um, that we look at these things too. Yeah, which is such a shame because you guys really have a very rigorous scientific training. What is it? You have to have a master, you have to get a master's degree and then you have to take a board certifying exam and then you have to uh, do like a year of an internship. So right now it's um, just a bachelor's in nutrition um, and you take a lot of like prerequisites to apply for around a year um, internship, but um, it's not a regular internship. It's like a residency because you get matched. The same matching, um, computer matching system, that's the same thing. Like we don't have, like we get to choose, you know, where we wanna apply, but then the computer matches you. For anyone not familiar, I just wanna quickly explain what it is. So. Yal is referring to the Medical Residency International Matching Program, which means that residents, uh, medical students in their last year of medical school will interview. They'll choose a set amount of hospitals that they would want to work as a resident, and they get interviewed, and each hospital ranks each resident that they interview, and it goes into some 
database that has some very sophisticated formula and it basically will match them, so to speak. So it'll place them in a residency. So it's not like just a job application and the hospital says, oh, okay, we want you. Like they'll interview, they'll interview a hundred candidates and rank all of them. And then it'll go into some plug into some system. So you're saying that you have the same kind of system where you'll interview in a, and is it always in a hospital? No, it depends. Um, There are internships that are affiliated with you know just a hospital like let's say um lij has their own internship you know north shore lij in 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 long island or uh columbia i mean uh what is it Um, new york presbyterian has their own internship so those are some hospitals that have their own but then there are also schools that have their own internship and then they have affiliations with different sites um so let's say brooklyn college has an internship and they have affiliations with Um, different hospitals, you know, just as an example. So you get an interview with the main uh, place. Mm -hmm. Of the nutrition program that you go to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do they teach you any of this mindful eating stuff in registered dietitian school? I'm not sure about now, but I'm approaching five years that I'm a registered dietitian. Um, When I was in school, it was rarely spoken about. Um, The first time that I ever heard about it was from one of my first nutrition courses that I took when, like right after I gave birth to um, my second child and about seven years ago. And um, that was when it like really resonated with me. And I kind of carried that lesson. And I basically read more on my own I didn't really have a lot of classes that spoke about it. There are, you know, webinars, you know, with dietitians that do talk about it. I'm not necessarily sure if it's part of the curriculum, though. Wow. It so should be. Like, this is an entire philosophy. Yeah, it's something, you know, that has been developed, I feel like, more recently. It definitely wasn't spoken about, you know, even like five years ago as much as it is now. Yeah, I only came across it probably about three or four years ago. Um, maybe heard a little bit about it, but thought it was just lazy eating. I'm embarrassed to say, but you know, all judgy. But and um, and I, I only came across it for real three or four years ago, or maybe at that point I was finally at my wit's end and just on my last straw and feeling so desperate and so depressed with the whole eating situation and just recognizing my own unhealthy relationship with food. And I just wanted freedom from all of that because it was affecting my mental health. So um, I'm happy that there's more awareness. I think we use social media as a great way to bring awareness. And I hope, I hope that it will become more a regular part of the curriculum in nutrition school. I'm I'm pretty sure that it's going to be if it isn't now because it's such a big, you know, there's such a big following right now of it and just so many benefits. Yeah, and the evidence is clear. There's a lot of evidence out there that the whole dieting part, which I don't know, I, I'm I'm assuming that maybe your nutrition school taught you about dieting and calorie counting and calories in. Yeah, that's that's out. the traditional, that's the traditional, um, you know, way of schooling for nutrition. But it also, the focus is much more on medical nutrition therapy. So, you know, working in a hospital, you know, or a clinic, you learn more about counseling during your internship. 
when you're out in the world on your own experience. Um, I, I feel like, I mean, we did learn counseling, but it wasn't as heavily emphasized. The more medical nutrition therapy that like, you know, dietitians do more like at the hospitals, more clinically based. Right. So it's more heavily, it was more heavily emphasized on the clinical, not as much on the, you know, the other aspect of, you know, more of the mental side of it. Do you have clients that come into your office thinking that they're going to get some kind of food plan and oh yeah lose weight and then are like totally <laughs> shocked by your whole approach and they're so like what I, I mean I tell people that's why I've I've um I've been telling people right away what my philosophy is um it's possible you know to lose weight as a secondary outcome but my primary focus is you know developing that relationship with food that's a positive, a positive one and developing that positive relationship with your body. And that's like the stepping stone, you know, to then, you know, let's say losing weight, you know, losing weight for the sake of losing weight is not the way to go. If you happen to lose weight while you're, um, you know, taking my approach and it's in a healthy way, then that's fine. Then it's your body telling you that, oh, I was meant to be this size. Exactly. Because not everyone is meant to be a certain size that the medical world or society decides that they need to be. You know, right. like, I don't believe in BMI things um, because they take everyone and put them into a box and tell them that you have to weigh within this certain range. And if you don't, then that's not normal. But no, everyone's bodies have a different normal baseline weight in the same way that if someone's 5'2 and I'm 5'5. Five five, there's no way that they're going to be able to make themselves grow to 5'5. Five five. So, I mean, I, I, I like to compare it to that. I think it's very similar. So you're saying that somebody incorporates the healthy behaviors, the healthy habits, the healthy relationships surrounding food. They're able to tap into their connection with mindful eating and knowing what's good for their body and what makes them feel good, what makes them also feel happy. And as a result, their body says, well, now that we're in a healthy behavioral place, this is the way that I was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. In a healthy way and not doing it out of calorie restriction. Exactly. They like to talk about the cauliflower pizza, right? Do you, do you, have you heard <laughs> right. of that one? Like, no, cauliflower pizza does not taste like regular pizza. Don't try to fool right. someone into that. Right. And the cravings, though, like what I tell people is the reason why most people have cravings is because they're not eating enough throughout the day or they've eliminated too many carbs. Um, once you start incorporating carbs in the right amounts and eat more regularly, those cravings start to go down. And obviously it's normal to have cravings sometimes, and it's okay to honor those cravings. But, you know, someone who, let's say, you know, has a craving for chocolate and eats an entire bag, that's their body talking to them and telling them that it needs more energy and it needs you to listen to it. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. Mm -hmm. So craving is just saying, hey, I need your body's telling you, hey, I need energy. And you misinterpreting that, misinterpreting exactly. that message and thinking, oh, OK, I really want a pack of cookies because that does give you quick energy. But in the long term, it's not going to make you feel good. What is your definition of someone who is successful? 
with a nutrition program that you give them? So someone who's successful would be that person who doesn't obsess over food. It's someone who has not even well, more of a neutral relationship with food and respects their body. Not necessarily, it doesn't mean you have to love every part of it like we said in the beginning, more just having a respect for it for what it does. And then in that way, you don't end up obsessing over food. And it's not the thing that like occupies your mind throughout the day. You eat when you need to eat and you stop when you're full. You're developing that relationship with food that you eat it to nourish your body, but there's a reason why it's also why it tastes good. That's where the whole, you know, learning how to mindfully eat comes in, enjoying the different um, textures, smell, taste, you know, without any distraction when you're eating. Um, and then just um, developing that trust with your body and feeling good and energized, that would be success. Do you find that it sounds like such a lofty goal? I feel like it's a work in progress for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it takes time. That's why also people think they see me at their first visit, you know, the initial, oh, I want a food plan. I want a meal plan. Just tell me um, what to eat, I don't, right? Just tell me yeah, what to eat. I, and like, I don't need a follow up. Like, this is all I need. And that's it. But then they realize that that's not going to take them very far. And support is really, really a crucial part of um, this journey. It really, really is. Right? It's like therapy. <laughs> It is. It is. I'm as I'm as I'm hearing that. I'm thinking. I'm thinking that it is is like therapy. And I know that there are definitely. I, I follow some of them on Instagram. They're amazing ones, like the Shira Rose, um, who I happen to know all the way from high school, but who are social workers. They're licensed therapists, and this is what they focus on. They focus on disordered eating, which is which is not an eating disorder, right? It's right. a right. It's just disordered eating, which I think probably 95% of us struggle, where we have some sort of unhealthy relationship with food. It doesn't have to be an actual diagnosed eating disorder. Even, you know, like we'll look at a food and, and equate it with moral, with our moral value. Exactly. Yeah, food, food doesn't have moral values, right? Exactly. There's no good or bad food. Food is food and... It's there to enjoy it and to nourish you. I have a post on that actually. <laughs> um, another thing is like, even during pregnancy, a lot of women, you know, they're told, oh, you need to eat more, you need to eat for two, or, you know, you're not eating enough. And then there's those that, you know, they're told don't eat more than that. Like you're eating too much. There's no, you know, middle ground there either so it, it's almost like it haunts you everywhere you turn like there's no there's no um relief from you know being told anything related to food that it's bad or good or let them do what they need to do and um you know that's where the mindfulness comes in also and there's no good or bad food it's about nourishing yourself and and enjoying your food at the same time. I've heard it said before that food is supposed to be enjoyable when we're born. 
Our first association with food is comfort. When a baby's being breastfed, they have, they're born with an actual need to suck. Like that gives them comfort. So just that. And breast milk is sweet. It tastes delicious. And also when a baby is breastfeeding, that means that a baby is being held by their mother and being snuggled or even bottle feeding. It's being held by another person and hugged and snuggled and all those nice feelings. And that's associated with food. So of course, food is supposed to be associated with with joy and enjoyment instead of that deprivation that we see so often, unfortunately, in diet culture, where you're a bad person, you shouldn't have these cookies or this cake, you should just have all this bland food that you don't like, um, because it'll make you lose weight, and it'll make you healthy. And otherwise, you're an immoral, horrible, unethical human being for eating a donut. (laughs) Right. You know, even with kids, um, a lot of times we associate, they associate food with punishment or with um, reward, you know. Um, So that's something that I feel like needs to be worked on also. Um, Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, like to give them stickers instead. (laughs) Yeah. And and both ways where I remember my kids went to this camp and they had a clean plate club where you finish everything on your plate. And it really made me so upset. This is a long time ago. I don't know if I had been exposed to the mindful eating and health at every size movement per se, but I guess I just had it within me. And my children were told to finish their all of their food on the plate, whether they liked the food or not, whether they were full or not. And it made me upset. So yeah, both ways or children are taught that they shouldn't be eating something because it's bad for you. What can you do you have any important message that you want to leave us off with? Um, Really try to listen to your body to develop that trust, because that's really the only way that you're going to develop that um, positive relationship with it, with your body and with eating. If you're doing it as a mother or a mother to be, how much more important, right? Because you need to be in the best nutritional mindset and have the best best habits possible because you need to be strong and healthy for your children and you also now are setting an example and you are setting up the norms and perceptions that your children are forming around food right exactly if if a mother doesn't take care of themselves um in that way then they can't you know be there for their kids or you know themselves or whatever household they have Yael, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Happy Birthway podcast. For those of you who would like to find Yael Jocelyn, registered dietitian, you can find her on Instagram at Mama Mind Nutrition and stay tuned for her website that she is launching soon. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway podcast. Head over to Yoledit Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. 
The podcast is not a replacement, and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience. 